0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome again. So, as you may know, we have been going through a series called Stewardship Principles. And most recently, we are digging into integrated time management. So, again, we started off with concepts that impact everything that we steward, and now we're starting to drill down into time management. So, with that, let's pray and get started. Gracious Father, we thank you again for this time, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us to gather together as believers, Lord, to fellowship one with another, Lord, and to hear your truth. Lord, we pray again that in this time you would open our eyes and our ears, Lord, that you would soften our hearts and grant that we would wholeheartedly accept your truth and, and grow in Christlikeness. likeness Lord, give us uh, opportunities throughout the week to bring you glory and to praise your name in Jesus' name. So as we are oft doing, we're going to do a little bit of a review, and then uh, dig in a little bit to some of the concepts. So we're going to talk about stewardship in general, and then look at some of the tools we have to make good decisions, look at some of the tensions that face us when we're trying to make those good decisions on how we're going to steward things, and then kind of jump into the integrated time management concept. So Matthew 6. 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we are reiterating this and reminding us of this because when we are considering how we use anything, where we consistently place that will give us information about our heart. Now, we remember that stewardship is carefully managing what has been entrusted to us. For the believer, we understand that it's utilizing and managing all of God's resources for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. So whatever we do, we're going to do that for the glory of God. And we use everything that we have in this temporal world in order to store up eternal value. Now, we also know that there's nothing that we have that we haven't been given, everything is from God. So we are a steward of everything that we have. So we don't have to make delineations between, is this something that I'm a steward of and is this not? No, if we have it, then it is a gift from God and we are responsible to God for that. And then finally, again, the concept is that we cannot do everything. There is no scenario, we don't have the wisdom, the capabilities, the resources to do everything. So since we can't do everything, we have to make some choices. We have to make some decisions. And that's where we started talking about the tools that we have to to make better choices. So we remember that our purpose, our mission, is the whole answer to the question of why we're here. Every believer has the same mission. We have the same purpose. Um, And we are called to be a part of God's body in accomplishing that purpose. We know that... um, Also, that if we don't know where we're going, again, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, so without some clarification on what our purpose is, we will just meander, but our mission helps to give us direction on that. The notion of a vision, again, this is a picture of what I look like if I'm using the gifts and the opportunities and the passions that God has given me, if I'm maximizing those, for God's glory. So that can be a sense of, that's how I'm using the notion of vision. So we all have the same purpose, to go forth and make disciples of all nations. We look a little bit differently doing that because we are all individually gifted. And then finally, we have our roles and responsibilities. These are places that God has placed us. So I may be a husband, I may be a father, I may be an employee, I may have responsibilities at the church. And so, all of these are guides that we can use to determine whether or not we are being a good steward. So, in each of these places, God has given us instruction. So, for our purpose, He's given us instruction in His Word. For our mission and vision, not only does He give us His Word to show us which things are godly and which are not, but also He gives us one another to help highlight and point out opportunities or or, our giftings that we may not have noticed. And then, for each of our roles, for a husband, He says that. I will love my wife as he loves the church. For a father, I will raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. For my employer, I will work heartily as unto the Lord. So he gives us guidance on all those roles. And so those things help us evaluate opportunities that we have and make decisions. Now, we can make a great decision or understand which way we go, but we will be challenged by the tensions of, of our feelings versus our faith. So our feelings will not always line up with what we understand and what we know uh, scripture to tell us. So there will be a draw away from what is clearly understandable to doing something completely different because that's what I feel like doing. So that is one of those challenges. And again, we, we know from our James study that it's the feelings and the passions that can even cause us to quarrel with one another. Another tension that we have to look at is that, that uh, continuum between covetousness, contentment, and complacency. So covetousness is the inordinate desire for something that someone else is. And we know that that can be their car, or a person's home, or their family, or even their ministry. We can even covet God's glory and find that we are looking to do things not for His glory, but because we want to make ourselves be more important. And so we know that that covetousness can cause us to excessively focus on something. And even that thing that we're focusing on can be a good thing, but our excessive focus on it can lead us to using unnecessary resources for ungodly purposes or ungodly gain. Now, where we wanna be, of course, is contentment. And this is the place where we are satisfied with what God has provided. And this is to be free from care because of satisfaction. And we know that in Hebrews 13 5, it says that the reason that we can be content with what we have is because Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. So we will always have exactly what we need. It just may not look like we want, and we can be content in that, knowing that. And sometimes we can let this contentment, though, the satisfaction turn into complacency, which is where we say, okay, you know what, I'm so satisfied with being here, I will do nothing to change anything. It can come because we either don't understand that there are risks associated with our complacency, we can be destroying things without knowing about it, and another reason is that we can think nothing will change, so why should I spend any time thinking about that or acting on that. So those are kind of some of the tools that we talked about and some of the tensions that would pull us away um, from, from keeping the course of making good decisions. Now last week we, we came up with an example, and I have to look away because Chris is over here, but we, we came up with an example of a decision um, and we kind of talked through how we could use each of these things to help decide if this was a good decision, and so for My purpose, if I'm meant to glorify and honor God and the decision is whether or not I should play drums, would that fit within the purpose of a believer to play drums? Would that be glorifying to God? It depends. Okay. (laughs) Well, yes, how bad you play. But to that, I would actually say that if, if it's a joyful noise, if there's some clanging cymbals, then, then perhaps it is glorifying God. So with just that one piece, that doesn't eliminate that as a possible way that I might spend my time. So I, I have to move further and I say, okay, well, I know that I have a lot of freedom. I can do any number of things uh, and playing the drums falls into that. Now I can look at my vision of myself. Do I have any skills? Do I have any passion around this? Do I have any opportunities around this? And again, for the skills part, there are some people who may say no, and they may say that excludes you from doing that. Um, Some other people might say that yes, you do have skills and opportunity, um, so it might be an option. Now, one of the things we we talked about last week as well is if I look at all of my opportunities and all my skills and and all my passions and I, I don't identify that drums is the best use of them, then what I come up with is a scenario where I say, if I have to make a choice between playing the drums and let's say teaching something, I would choose the teaching something. But I don't know if I have to make a choice. And that's where we kind of get to our roles and responsibilities. So if I am a single independently wealthy person, I don't have to make that choice. I don't have to worry about where I spend my time in the, for the workday. I can do any of those things, but if I am a husband, then that starts to mean that I have to spend some of my time loving my wife, and that means that I have to spend some of my time living with my wife in an understanding way. If I'm a father, that means that I have to spend some of my time training my children, and that means I have to spend some of my time doing those things. And in both scenarios, I have to spend some of my time providing for their needs. And if I'm an employee, I have to spend a little of my time at work. And so what we find is those roles and responsibilities, since they are God-given and understand, when he gives us instruction about those, those start to indicate that we have some time commitments that we have to factor in. So when I look at those things and those other roles and responsibilities, I have this ability, perhaps, to play the drums. But a desire to use some other giftings and some constraints in terms of what, I, what my time will allow that says, okay, I have to make that choice and I might choose not to play the drums. Now, after I've gone through all that and I feel horribly confident that that is the right choice, then we start to get into feelings. I might really want to play the drums. And that might start to overshadow all the other stuff that I can't thought of. It might start to overshadow my responsibility to my family. It might start to overshadow any number of things. I might start to tweak what I think God's best use of my life might be because I really want to play the drums. Now, if we also look at covetousness in this scenario, I might look at someone else and say, they can play the drums. They, they have a job, and, and they still play the drums, so I should be able to play the drums. Because if someone else can do it, then, and then it's got to be good, so I should be able to do it. And we, in both of these things, both the feelings and the covetousness obviously work together, but they can start to make this seem like a need. I can start to confuse what I want to do, and I confuse the fact that it's just really something I want to do, and it's something that's beneficial. Again, anything that fits within the umbrella of uh, honoring God can be a good thing. I can start to make that a need, but it's not really. But we'll talk about that a little another time. Now, complacency, on the other hand, would say, you know what, I can't play the drums. I'll never be able to play the drums. My kids won't even be able to play the drums. No one I ever know will play the drums, so I'm just gonna sit here and do nothing. And again, that's, that can have the notion of, OK, I'm content with where I'm at, but it really has the laziness and the apathy that says you know, nothing will ever change. A contentment idea, even in this scenario, could be, you know what, right now it doesn't make sense for me to play the drums. But if I could figure out a way to say 15 minutes every day on my commute or with something that I'm doing at home, then that might free up some time so that it would be a possibility. So I'm not inactive. I'm, I'm content that this is where I'm at now, but I'm not saying this is where I will always be or always have to be. So that was a kind of a quick review. Are there any quick questions or thoughts on, uh-oh, that was a quick raising of your hand. <laughs> I've been thinking about this all week, brother. Okay, so he's ready, yes. So the question was, as you look to make decisions uh, about how you steward anything, and specifically time, how much weight do you give to confirmation or input from other people? And I would say that, uh, it, sadly, it does depend, but I mean, we wanna look at a multitude of counselors. And so what that will help us do is identify the times where we're just listening to people because they're saying what we want them to say, um, as well as giving us a, of a wide variety of ideas. So in terms of how much weight do you give it, it it's, it's, you can give it a lot of weight in terms of helping you identify potential giftings, but you still have to evaluate it in light of your roles and responsibilities. So if someone were to say, were to say using the drum example, if 50 people came up to me and said, you are the best drummer in the history of the world. After I said, continue for a little bit more, eventually I'd say, no, 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 I'm still a father. And I still have those responsibilities. And I'm still a husband and have those responsibilities. And until this thing can provide for my family or or make sure that I can still accomplish those things, having that gifting doesn't trump the responsibilities and the roles that God has given me, and it's the same thing with the opportunity. Again, it can be a phenomenal opportunity, uh, but if it's you know not uh, consistent with those things, because what we're not doing is we're not saying this is bad and horrible, and this is good. We're simply saying, okay, what am I able to do with what God has given me, while still honoring Him in the in the roles and, and the responsibilities that I've. And given. But I think people will be a great source of information. They'll be a great opportunity you know, to con- confirm that, okay, this is a gifting. You want the multiplicity because some people you know, will say, no, you, you, you can't do that. You, you can't possibly do that. And there will be someone else who not only will know that you can, but actually know how you can. Um, so you want to make sure that you are using all those pieces, but it won't trump what scripture calls you to be as a husband. And it won't trump what scripture calls you to be as a father or an employee or or whatever. Okay, cool. Now, speaking of last week, I do want to make one little pit stop because we had a really great question, which actually was, I think, from Ray as well. Um, But it was the question of what do we do when we don't have the opportunities to pursue God-given passions that we have? And we talked about that a little bit, and uh, there were a couple things that we touched on, but I I wanted to kind of highlight a few more things um, today really quickly. And one of the reasons uh, that we don't have these opportunities sometimes is because we have the wrong expectations. So we can be looking for an opportunity that's a purple gift basket thingy that's dropped off, um, and that's the opportunity that we're looking for. And, And when it looks different, We don't think that's an opportunity. Uh, There's that story, and many of you may have heard about it, of a man who was caught in a flood. Uh, Water starts to rise, so he climbs to the top of his house, and he does what every good believer does. He starts to pray. And one of his neighbors has a little rowboat. neighbor rows the boat. He says, hey, hop in. We'll get out of this. And he looks at him, and he says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. So he goes on. He's there for a little bit. The water starts to rise. It's starting to get up to the windows and the top of the door frames. Speedboat comes by. Says, hey, hop on. You know, we can get out of this. I know how to get to the the safe zone. So no, I'm waiting for God to save me. Until finally, water's up almost to the top of the roof. He's hanging out near his chimney. A helicopter comes by lowers the ladder down, and he's looking at, you know, he can barely stay there, and he says, hey, get on, we can take you to safety, and he looks up, and he says, I'm waiting for God to save me, and he, of course, dies. Now, we look at that, and we we say that that's absurd. You know, God was obviously providing him an opportunity to be saved, to be taken to freedom, but we can kind of do that same thing, where we're looking for the, the perfect scenario we're looking for this one thing, God can show us any number of ways, and, and we miss those. I mean, we kind of see it uh, with, well, we don't see him missing it, but Elijah, as he was running away from Jezebel, goes to the mountain to hear from God. There's an earthquake, there's a fire, there's a wind, and we would expect that God would speak through him there, but he doesn't. He speaks in a still, small voice. And the nation of Israel was looking for a Messiah, and they were looking for this political leader that was going to take over every nation, and they missed the true Messiah. So so one of the reasons that we don't have opportunities to practice our God-given gifts is because we miss those opportunities that are there. And I think Laura mentioned last time is sometimes those opportunities are to grow where we're planted, to use those gifts to do something that we maybe didn't expect that we were going to do. Another reason we cannot see the opportunities is we can not be ready. So we look at um, Joseph, and we know that he knew what God had planned for him in the sense that he had two dreams from God that determined that he was going to be in this leadership position of authority, and it was going to be pretty good. Thirteen years of prison and slavery, thirteen years of enduring many trials of many kinds, he finally gets to that place. Now we don't know what kind of leader he would have been as a 17-year-old son who his father favored and and gave him nice clothes and stuff. But we see that at the end of that 13 years, he was someone who could lead Egypt through a period of feast and then a, a significant period of famine. And he was prepared and positioned so that when he was ready, that opportunity showed up. We see the same thing with Moses who grew up in Pharaoh's house and he had access to everything that it would take to be a good leader. I mean, he probably had the best education, really high quality food uh, and some really nice clothes. And he even had the zeal to protect the children of Israel, as we demonstrated by slaying the, the Egyptian who was beating the, uh, the Jewish person but he didn't have 40 years of training as a shepherd. So after that 40 years of training as a shepherd, not only did the opportunity present itself to lead, but it was, he was really encouraged very strongly to take that opportunity. So some of the reason that we don't see the opportunities that we're looking for is that we're not ready. Another thing that can happen is it's not ours to complete. So we look at David, again, all the resources necessary to build the temple of God, all the desire to do it, and God says, this is not for you to do. This is for your son to do. So one of the reasons is because it's not for us to do. And then the last one, and it's good that we are in James, and we will get to this later, but I'll give you a little bit of a preview. Um, just a smidgen, Um, sometimes we can have wrong motives. So if we look at James 4, 1 through 3, it says, "'What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, wrongly to spend it on your passions.'" So in this, again, there's going to be a lot of unpacking, which I will leave for Matt to do. Uh, But we see a couple of things. We don't ask. That demonstrates a certain level of pride. It demonstrates that we've forgotten that everything, including these opportunities, would come from God. And then the other piece is you do not ask. I mean, you ask and you do do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Again, is this desire to exercise this gift so that God might be glorified or from my own selfish ambition. So the other cool thing is we we get, again, some guidance in James 1.5 that if you're confused as to which one of these scenarios it is and you need some wisdom, you can just pray for it and God will, will grant you wisdom. And that can be, he can show you opportunities that you missed as well as lessons that he might want to teach you. So that was a, brief pit stop, and we will jump back into integrated time management. Now again, this is, uh, actually I'll give one question, if anyone had any thought or question before I go on, because I know that I said a ton of stuff. groovy, then I will continue. So the notion of integrated time management, again, is the concept of looking at your life in a way that takes attention to integrity. So integrity can be moral uprightness or it can be whole or undivided. So in terms of uh, moral uprightness, scripture promotes this. Proverbs 10, 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. So we see that there's protection and integrity. Proverbs 28, 6 says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So it is better even than wealth to walk in integrity. Proverbs 11 to 3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So we can see that Scripture encourages this type of integrity to make sure that we are walking rightly. also encourages us against being divided or being double-minded, as we again see in James. We see that that man is unstable, and there's no, no benefit in that. Now, this integrated time management keeps these approaches, or both of these sides of the the coin in in view, and has three concepts. Do what you say, do what's important, and consider your life as one whole. And so today, we are gonna take the next few minutes to dig in a little bit and to do what you say. So even though it's pretty straightforward, sometimes uh, there can be some questions about it. So Psalms 37.1 says, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but, righteous is, but the righteous is gracious and gives. So in this scenario, we're saying that this borrowing is a commitment to repay. And when we don't keep that commitment, when we don't keep our word, we are doing things that are indicative of wickedness. Psalms 15, one through four says, Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? one who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. Now this is a really good opportunity to remind us that this is not the picture of a person who is saving himself. This is not a picture of some person in his own strength justifying himself before God, but rather it is a picture of someone who's empowered by God to obey. And it's an example of what we are to strive for in his strength. And, and it's an outworking of his saving grace in our life. That being said, it is also not an excuse to just hang out and wait. We are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not because we will be able to accomplish it, but because it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his purpose. So with both of those pieces in mind, we look at this and see that this is something that we strive towards. Um, when it talks about detriment, that tends to make us feel like that's the opposite of God's of good stewardship. If someone were to say, hey, you know what? Do this and you'll waste some time or you'll waste a lot of money, then we would automatically assume that that's bad stewardship. But when scripture says that one who demonstrates righteousness is one who keeps an oath even to his detriment, then we can see that if it takes me a little extra time to do what I say, if it costs me some more money, if it's inconvenient, that's still good stewardship in God's eyes. That's using the time that he gave you to do what he's called you to do. So doing what you say is more important than simply saying you'll do good things. So Ecclesiastes 5 and 5 says, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not not pay. So sometimes we can get very excited, we can commit to doing things which are good. There are a lot of really good things out there, but scripture says that rather than doing that, It is better, in fact, not to make that vow, not to make that commitment, than to make it and not pay, not do it. And again, the point here is we are striving to be like Christ. We read that he never changes. We read that his yes is yes and amen always. We read that his promises are true and we can have confidence in him. So we want to demonstrate that. This is one of those ways that we want to be light and salt in the world is that we want to do what we say. We want to keep our commitments. But you may know people who don't keep their commitments. What are some of the reasons why those people, not us, but those people don't keep their commitments? Anyone, what are some of those reasons? Change of heart. Change of heart? Too hard. Too hard? Complacency? Not counting costs. Cost. Okay. Is that it? Oh, we should be able to nail those. No. Don't have time. Sorry? Don't have enough time. Quote, don't have enough time. <laughs> yes, not enough time. Cool. Groovy. So yes, so those are some good reasons. Do they have a change of heart? They found out it's harder than they expected because they didn't count the cost. It can be complacency um, and not enough time. Again, believing that they can actually do everything. So one of the reasons, again, that's kind of indicating there is overcommitting. So we can kind of commit to more than we're capable of doing. One, One of the reasons that that happens is you know, Again, we schedule too much stuff, and we can schedule too much stuff because we either start with the notion that I'm going to make 100% of my time do exactly what I wanted to do. So I'm going to start at 7 a.m. in the morning, I'm going to go through 7 p.m. at night, and I'm going to do these 50 things, and I'm going to have 45 seconds to breathe and 32 seconds to, to drink some water. And, and we laugh, but we, we kind of do that. And one of the things that that does is that puts us in the place of acting as God. Because we say, I can control what happens for 100% of the day. And we go, okay, well, that's ridiculous. But again, the closer we get to that 100% mark, the more we're starting to believe that. And one of the other things that is, is not good about that is if we were to plan 100% of the day, I'm not making time for those God-ordained opportunities with other people. I'm saying, you know, my task, which I've preordained, which I've pre-established before the beginning of the day, those shall come to pass. And I know in my great wisdom that nothing else will be important. So already we've set ourselves up to fail. We've, we've overcommitted in that time. And that doesn't even factor in the fact that some things take longer than we expect. Some things are just harder than we initially anticipated. So one of the reasons we're overcommitting is we we schedule too much of our time. Now there's a great book, it's a big book, but it's a great book called What's Best Next by Matt Perman. He talks about this concept of a ringing principle, which is essentially that any system, as it gets closer to 100% capacity, becomes less efficient. And you can look at the freeways as an example of that. When there's five cars on the freeway, you can go the speed limit if you wanted to restrict yourself that way. But as you get more and more cars on the freeway, the smallest changes to any one of those cars cause increased delays. So it's the same thing with our schedule. If I'm scheduling my time and I'm booking back to back and that first meeting goes over, that can have a big impact on the rest of the day if I've not given myself uh, time to accommodate those things. So one of the reasons that we are overcommitted is because we schedule too much stuff just right off the bat. And we try to exercise a level of control that is actually impossible. Uh, Another reason that we can be overcommitted is we don't track our commitments. So we can be walking down a hall, hey, Todd, can you do that? Sure thing. What about this? Can you do that? Gotcha." Can you do this others? Yes. And then by the time I get to where I'm going, I'm like, okay, I said, I think I said I'm going to lunch. I think I committed to going to lunch. And so I don't keep all those those commitments tracked, so I don't really know what I've committed to. So it's very easy to not keep them to be overcommitted as well. And then one of the things that we do is we try to do everything. And I know it sounds like I keep repeating this, because I do. We can't do everything, but we still try. Sometimes we try to do everything by ourselves. And that means we're not getting help from others. That also can mean that we're not even taking the time. We we read in James that sometimes you don't ask. I mean, you don't have because you don't ask. We don't even pray to God for help in those areas because we somehow have taken ownership of not only getting everything done, but I have to get it done by myself. And that by myself has the other factor of um, not being consistent and diligent in discipling, in delegating. Not saying that, you know, because sometimes we can say, if it takes me more time to explain it to you, then it's a better use of my time to just do it. But in reality, if we're looking comprehensively, what we wanna be consistent in doing is training up other people. We want to, you know, there's a the notion of delegation that just says, you go do this, and, and I call that gopher delegation. There's kind of this steward dele- stewardship delegation, which says, you know what, I'm going to do this because it's a benefit for you, and you will be able to also help. But I think there's even discipleship can be a sense of delegation because when we are discipling others, we are teaching them to pick up the mantle when we are not able to. And that can be in our children so that when we are gone, we have people who are spreading the gospel in our absence. It can be a multiplying effect by anyone who would learn from this would have the ability to go out and do that. But the notion where we get stuck is we get stuck with, I have to do it and I have to do it myself. And some of that can be um, because we have anxiety about control. So I have to do it. I have to do it myself, not only because there's no one who can help me, but because I need to make sure it gets done. It needs to get done the exact way that I want it to get done by me in my exact time. And if that starts to sound like maybe I'm taking... uh, a little bit control that maybe I wanna let go of, we might wanna consider those things. So when we are considering stewarding what God has given us, part of that is perpetuating that into the future. Part of that is taking my talents, my giftings, and growing other people likewise. So if I have, again, if I go back to that 100% of my time being me doing what I need to do to get where I wanna go, I might be missing those great opportunities that say, I need to carve out time to teach my son how to play the drums so that even if I can't, even after I'm gone, there will be someone who is playing, using this gift. And so again, it, that speaks to our our, our, our overcommitting. But it kind of also speaks to why we get into that position because we can be very focused on this is about me and my time and my way. So, one of the reasons that we, again, overcommitting is we need to do it ourselves, we need to do it now, and, and we need to do it exactly the way that we want. And then, another reason or way that we can overcommit or reason that we do overcommit is avoidance. Now, we talked about the fact that for the believer, we have tremendous flexibility. There are many things that we can do in order to honor God. And we can find that some of, those, some of the time we spend a lot of time doing one really good thing so we can be so busy that we miss an important thing we miss this area of responsibility. And we can, again, we can, we can justify it because I'm saying I'm spending my time doing something good, but am I trading that good thing for the best thing, which is those things, again, where we, when we look at our roles and responsibilities, those are kind of the governors in the sense of, of uh, evaluating what desi- decisions I might be looking to make. So with that, Another question: um, Can we see that contentment has any impact, or how does contentment have any impact on our our overcommitting? Right, none whatsoever.: Right, so yes, if we are not content with what we are able to accomplish, we try to do more than we have the time to do. And again, there's, uh, the contentment says, I don't have the time to do this now. But it's the complacency that says, I won't do what I can now to build in that time for later. So we, we do want to say that I, I You know, I don't have time, but we don't want to leave it there. We don't want to say, if it's something good and it's something that we believe God has called us to, then we can make incremental steps. We can do what we can. In the meantime, I'm going to buy five minutes of time to start moving to this other thing. And it it won't be enough right now, but by God's grace, eventually it will be. Okay, and then the last thing... um, Sometimes just things that are unexpected happen. You wake up one day, you're getting ready to go to church, your child loses their shoe, you know, and, and you, you're running around looking for a shoe for a while. And then you're running around looking for the child. But <laughs> so, so sometimes things that are unexpected happen. Now, it's easy in those times to go, oh, well, I, I, I'm good, it, that's unexpected, but scripture even speaks to that, it, and specifically if we look at Exodus twenty-one thirty-five through 36, again, it's going to talk about an ox, but don't get distracted by the ox, we'll, we'll, get, we'll bring it back, so it says, when one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share the price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. So we can kind of see that, yeah, the first time that the ox kills another animal, yeah, you didn't know about it. But for the ox to kill another animal, you are now more liable for it. So the first time my child uses it, loses his shoe and we are late to an event... It's like, okay, that's not good. We can can take care of it. The second time, I have the ability to say, all shoes will be kept in a hermetically sealed box (laughs) right by the front door. Now, we will probably be late for some other reason, but for that one, I'm on the hook for that one. So the wise man sees danger and avoids it. Sometimes the things that are surprising have happened before. Sometimes the things that we say, oh, this unexpected thing happened, could have probably been expected. I expect one of my kids, at least one of them, is going to need something at the last minute. I expect that there's a bathroom visit or there's something that way. So were I to walk out the door late because that didn't happen, some of this stuff we can expect. And so when you are looking at keeping commitments, and trying to make sure, again, that we are honoring God by the way that we do those. Yes, let's look to make sure that we're not overcommitting. make sure we're not doing things that only God can do. Let's make sure that we are building in time for other people and also to bring along and raise up people to help us in doing whatever we're called to do. And let's also learn from those times where we don't keep the commitment and learn Okay, is this because I'm avoiding or is this because I'm missing some things that are really easy for me to see? So. And then finally, again, um, are there ever any commission or commitments that we should break? Exactly, yes. But which types of commitments should we break? If I left work Friday and I had promised my boss that I was going to falsify a report on Monday, should I keep that commitment? No. So anything that contradicts what God has explicitly called us to, even if we accidentally or inappropriately made that commitment, then we do not continue forward with that. When we are wiser, we we make that commitment go away. And it also doesn't preclude or eliminate the notion of renegotiation. So if I realize that I owe something that I cannot possibly pay or I cannot possibly do, scripture says that we go to that person, we humble ourselves, and we essentially try to renegotiate. But all in all, we are trying to be like Christ, and we are trying to demonstrate his faithfulness and his integrity and his consistency. Uh, okay. Well, with that, we have two minutes for half a question from Ray or four questions from someone else. <laughs> I have half a comment. OK. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Right, so yes, he was saying that sometimes extenuating circumstances arise, that you can't possibly do that, and that, that's true. And again, this is, this is not about being 100% perfect, but it is saying when this, when this extenuating circumstance arises, we learn from it. Maybe I didn't count the costs. Maybe I, you know, saw something different. And then, again, something completely out of the blue can happen and, and we and we go along with that. But we also look for, for ways that we can learn even in those things. Well, if nothing else, we will pray and go forth. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness. We thank you uh, that you are holy and perfect and righteous and just and we have no ability to attain to that outside of the work of Christ. So we thank you for that work and we praise you that um, you have been loving towards us and pouring it out on us. Lord, give us grace to go forward. Lord, help us to learn what you'd call us to learn. Help us to see the opportunities that you've presented before us. Help us to be wise, uh, not taking inordinate control or believing that we have inordinate control, but uh, being diligent to use what you have given us for your glory. Lord, we pray for the rest of the day, for the preaching of your word, Lord, that you would be edified, or that you would be glorified in it, and we would be edified. And thank you again for everything that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.